0: Feel free next week to sit a little closer to the front. It makes me feel like I'm, you know, long distancing this thing. Appreciate it, Morrisons. Appreciate it, you guys. Thanks. Somebody's on my side. That's good. You know, uh, I was talking with a friend of mine about um, Father's Day messages and Mother's Day. And and he was saying that uh, on Mother's Day... You know there are flowers and beautiful things are said about moms and how wonderful our moms are and and then it, it comes to Father's Day and you know you get out the paddle and it's time to paddle the dads it feels like right and so uh, well I'm a, I'm a dad and and uh, I don't really want to be paddled today you know the the word paddles me pretty regularly and so it's my intention here uh, I have two gifts for you first of all dads I intend not to paddle you today but to encourage you so that's a good thing you're welcome in advance. My second gift to you is that I will go against my nature and try and finish a little bit early. How about that? A so called friend of mine said I'm a little long winded, so it was total news to me. <laughs> She's probably right. All right, open your Bibles if you would to uh, Joshua 24. Joshua 24. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want to kind of hone in on this passage here. Joshua chapter 24. This, this is towards the end of Joshua. This is towards the end of Joshua's life. He's just about to die. Actually, he's very, very close to it. At the end of this chapter, he's going to die. So he's at the end of his life. He's at the end of his ministry. All these things have gone on. and um, So he calls the Israelites together. They've been in the land, they've conquered good portions of the land, not all of it, but they've conquered good portions, and he gets them all together and he's going to remind them or renew the covenant that they made. You know, if you think about all of the uh, uh, happenings of, of Moses and the people coming out of Egypt spending the 40 years, and then Joshua gets to take them into the land. And so he's reminding them them of uh, their history, and he goes actually back beyond Egypt He reminds them of their history of their father Abraham and even their father Abraham's dad and family when they lived in Ur of the Chaldees and that area far, far to the east. And reminds them actually of time before they even served God, that they didn't know the one true God. And so he's he's reminding them of all of that history. And he tells them uh, about what God has done for the, the the children of Israel for abraham and his descendants on down into egypt and all this stuff reminds them of god's goodness in all of this all the way up to the point where they come in and take possession then of the promised land the land that was promised to abraham years and years and years ago centuries earlier and then they lived there briefly and then they get they go down into egypt and they're there and they're prisoners in egypt you remember the whole story and then uh Uh, God uses Moses to bring them out of Egypt and here God uses Joshua to bring them into the land. So now they're in possession of the land. So God has done amazing things for the people of Israel and, and Joshua is reminding them of these things. And it's in that context that Joshua says this, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 24. He says, now therefore, in light of all this, now therefore, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away your gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. That's the kind of husband and father and head of my household that I want to be. Joshua says, regardless of what kinds of decisions the people around me, my own people are making, whether they're going to choose to follow these idols, whether they're going to choose to follow the Lord, whatever they choose, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's my cry. And that's my cry for us this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you have worked wonders to save your people. You have done amazing things in our church. Lord you've done amazing things in my own life that I could be reconciled with you that I could know you that I could be able to come into your presence though though at heart I was born an enemy and walked in rebellion but you made it so that I could come into your presence you made it so that I could know you and most of us here can say that same thing and we praise you for your goodness for your work in our lives. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we uh, look at fatherhood, as we look at discipleship and the two hand in hand, I pray that you would help us to dig into what we're looking at, help us to see what your word says and to value it, and help us to choose this day whom we will serve. And I pray that we would say, just like Joshua as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So I have two tasks today and we'll see how well I do them both at the same time. Turns out today's Father's Day. So I'm going to talk a lot about dads. Okay. And a lot to dads and as a dad, but also we're beginning a summertime, a uh, series on discipleship. And so being a dad and making disciples and being a disciple they go hand in hand but we'll see how, how well i can balance those two things together and so those are my two goals i'm going to be talking to dads and about fatherhood and be talking about discipleship at the same time and and we want to spend a, a, the remainder of the summer really talking about this and it may go on beyond that but uh, but we want to talk about discipleship and what that means so um What's the connection between fatherhood and discipleship, aside from the fact that it fell together on the calendar that I needed to do both at the same time? I think that was God's providence that that happened. If you, if you look at the connection between discipleship and being a dad, you see that there are tons of connections. Uh, first of all, discipleship and parenting are very similar. They both involve leading and instruction, encouragement, correction, counseling, Comfort, oversight, so you see there are a lot of points of connection between being a parent and discipling someone. And beyond that, if we look at Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians chapter 6, we see that uh, this, that Scripture tells us that dads have the primary responsibility to be the disciplers of the children in their home. Both of those passages talk about the same thing. Dads have to know how to disciple their own kids. That's one of, the, one of our main responsibilities as dads. And so, of course, another connection is that dads themselves are to be disciples, are to be followers of Christ. That's a big part of being a godly father. So, in light of the common ground between fatherhood and discipleship, and as a kickoff for this whole series that we're going to be doing for the summer, let's look at a father's walk. A father's walk. Point number one there in your outline is my walk. And what I mean there, of course, is my walk with Christ or uh, my own growth as a disciple. And so I want to talk about those things. My, My walk with Christ, first of all, has its foundation as well as its path in the gospel. The gospel is both the foundation and the path of my walk. The gospel is the foundation in the sense that We would never choose to serve the Lord in truth, nor would we ever be able to without God being the one who initiates that relationship. He's the one who initiates it. Think about the gospel for a second. Think about what it means that holy God would choose to, first of all, not just destroy sinful man, destroy me as a rebel against him, turning against him as an enemy. He's my creator. He has every right just to destroy me. Every right just to destroy me. But he decides not to. Instead, he decides to send his own son to live a perfect life like I could never live. And then, more than that, to go to the cross, to die the death for my sins, to pay the penalty for my sins, a penalty I could never bear. He does both of those things, lives the life of obedience, of righteousness that I can't do, and he pays the penalty that I couldn't bear so that I could be restored to righteousness. I could be restored in my relationship with God. You see, the the exchange that happens there is that my sin, which is all I've got to offer, is given to him and he takes it and he takes it to the cross. And then in exchange, he gives me his righteousness. Not only forgiveness, but also his righteousness. So that now I stand before God because of what he's done righteous. That's the gospel. What God did for me that I could be restored into that right relationship with him. He accomplished what I never on my own ever could have accomplished. The thought of trying to serve the Lord without a clear understanding of the gospel is actually, it's worse than meaningless. I would just end up serving a God of my own imagination. And that would be disastrous. It's called idolatry. And people do it all the time. Serve a God that doesn't really exist. So the gospel, of course, is the foundation. It's the foundation of my walk with Christ. And I try and remind myself daily of the gospel and its significance in my life. It's a, it's a part of my prayer that I remind myself of why I even get to come into God's presence because of what he's done. Without his incredible grace in my life, I would still be a rebel and an enemy against God. But I say, so I I, I say that the gospel is the foundation of my walk, but it's also the path of my walk, It's the path of my walk, because living out the Christian life and growing in my walk with Christ is a constant realization of my ongoing need for Christ and for his gracious work in my life. The life we're called to live as God's children, you may have noticed, has some demanding aspects to it. For example, he says, love your enemy. Love your enemy. You will never be able to love your enemy just by force of will. They're your enemy, okay? (laughs) By definition, you don't, right? You don't love them. He's your enemy. But then I read in Scripture about God's supernatural grace, that he himself will work into my life by his Spirit. Love for my enemy that he will actually work that into my life, and I can love even my enemy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, one of my favorite verses, says this, He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. My walk with Christ, my personal discipleship, is the working out in my life and in my own heart the truth that in myself, I am unworthy and I am unable to serve God. He's holy. I can't render holy service, but the gospel tells me that I'm not left alone in this. I'm not on my own. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now think back through that verse. That's second Corinthians nine, eight. You should write that down and look it up because it's encouraging. It is encouraging. There is a lot of all and every in there. There is power in there. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work because of what he does in you. He's able to do that. He's able to work that into you. That's not something we can muster up on our own. So the gospel is both the foundation and the path of our discipleship. So let's look more specifically at some of the elements of discipleship. Point B, the elements of discipleship. Now, you have a list of five there. And two, three, and four, you're pretty familiar with and probably do to one degree or another. The more difficult ones for most churches and for most people, most difficult ones are point number one and point number five. Point number one is Submit to a teacher. Submit to a teacher. At this point, turn to Matthew 28. I'm sure 98% of you have these verses memorized, but we'll have it there anyway. Matthew chapter 28. Submit to a teacher. Submit to a mentor. Matthew chapter 28. I'll start in verse 18, read through the end of the chapter. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, the idea of submitting to a teacher, someone who's gone before you, a mentor in the faith, is stitched into the Christian life. It's stitched into the church from this very beginning. So here we have it. This is the end of Jesus' ministry. It's the end of the book, right? So this is kind of the punchline for Matthew. Right. This is the marching orders at the end, the conclusion of all this. Here's your marching orders. Go with this. OK, this is what he says. And here. So we have Jesus who has ministered. He's invested three plus years of his life into these disciples. He has spent time with them. He has taught them. He's worked with them. He's walked with them through garbage. He's shown them amazing, amazing things. He's rebuked them. He's been rebuked by them. Right. So he's dealt with that sort of relationship with them. He's taught them a lot, right? And he says, now, just like I discipled you guys, just like I invested in you guys, you guys go and make disciples the same way, go and make disciples. And so how does it start for each Christian? Where, where are you in that, in that continuum there? You're the one who is made a disciple by a disciple who has been discipled before, right? That's how we start that's how, we, that's how we get in, is to be made a disciple by someone. It's stitched into the fabric. It's, it's part of what it means to be a Christian and to grow in our walk. So that's, that's a powerful thing. And that, that's an easy thing to miss. Because I don't really much care to submit, frankly. And this submission relationship, you know, it, it, it involves maybe sometimes some uncomfortable things. Because this person I'm submitting to who's discipling me, he's going to say stuff that is going to be challenging to the way I live or maybe to the things I believe, some of the things I say. It's going to be challenging. And that's not always fun, right? But this is the way we start in our Christian walk. This is the way we grow in our Christian walk is by submitting to a teacher, by a mentor. Second point, learn Jesus' words. All right? I think we would all, if we were to write down what does discipleship mean, we would have this one on there. Bible knowledge. Learn what the Bible says. Learn what God expects. Learn what God says about himself and about us and who we are and how we can know him. Learn those things. Learn those things from Scripture. That's point number two. Number three, learn Jesus' way of ministry. Learn Jesus' way of ministry. We learn how to minister to others by looking at Jesus' own ministry. He says, let the little children come to me. So we do children's ministry. We looked at Jesus' ministry. He held kids on his lap, laid hands on kids, things like that. We do the same thing, right? We minister to kids because we looked at Jesus' way of ministry. We learn about him by learning Jesus' way of ministry. Number four, imitate Jesus' life and character. Character. Life. Right? We learn to live like him. We learn that we really can't. We see the goal. We see that we need God's working in us to work those things out in our lives. But we learn about his life and his character. And we want to emulate that. We want to imitate Christ in those ways. We want to pursue him, right? So we grow in our understanding and in our actual walk in our life and character. Point number five. Point number five, find and teach other disciples, okay? So we started off by submitting ourselves to be a disciple of someone, someone who has walked down the road farther than us in their walk with Christ. We could learn things from this person, so we submit to them, right? We learn these other things about life and character and knowledge, way to do ministry, etc., and then take someone else with us, right? We find someone else that we can disciple, find and teach other disciples. Now, how to do that, why to do that, that's your entire point number two in your outline, with others. Point number one, Roman numeral one, was my walk. And number two is my my walk with others. I'm taking others with me, okay? So here we are in the Great Commission. The first question is why? Why do we want to do this? Why do we spend time? Why do we care to disciple other people? Why does it matter? Should we really care? Is it that big a deal? Should we really do it? Well, go back to Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. Not a whole lot of interpretation to go on there, right? We should probably go and make disciples, right? It's relatively clear. It's right there. And so that's an enormous, enormous motivation. Jesus said, go do this. Okay, I will go do that, all right? So it's a, it's a big part of it. It's a central role in the, in the development of the church is di- discipleship. This is the way the, the faith is passed down from generation to generation, from one person to another, is by discipleship. This is how it happens. He says, go and make disciples. So that one's relatively clear. Here's another one, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, flip over there. Answering again the question, why disciple others? 2 Timothy 2 2. So this is Paul talking right at the end of his life. He's talking to Timothy. And this is what he says to Timothy. What you. Have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you got four generations going on there. Four generations of disciples happening there. First of all, Paul is doing the talking, right? He's talking to Timothy and he says, Take what I taught you, second generation. Teach it to other men, third generation. Who will then pass it on to others? Fourth generation, right? So here in one verse, we've got four generations of discipleship happening. What Paul is showing here, he's demonstrating, he's trying to communicate to Timothy, is, Timothy, you need to be about discipling people. This is how the gospel goes from one generation to the next. This is how it spreads across culture. This is how the church grows. This is how the body of Christ expands. This is how the kingdom of God advances is by one person training another person, teaching another person in these things we talked about. Take this stuff, Timothy, that you heard from me. Teach it to other faithful men who will be able to teach others. Four generations right there in one. That's an example for us. That's what we need to be about. So that's a big answer to the question of why. Okay, so that's not rocket science. So let's move on to the how. Point B there, how... Do we go about this process of making disciples? Relatively clear. Paul said do it. Jesus said do it. Well, little point number one there. Find a disciple who's willing to submit. And teach him Jesus' words. There's a pattern here. Teach him Jesus' way of ministry. Teach him to imitate Jesus' life and character. And fifthly, teach him to go and find other disciples. That's what Paul told Timothy. So how do we do it? Just the same way we were discipled. Pass it on. Pass it on. These things, Timothy, that I taught you in the presence of many witnesses, take those things and teach them to other people. Nothing new, nothing brilliant, nothing fancy, nothing slick. Pass on the faith. Train them in these things. Train them in these things. And teach them to train other people in these things. So, point number one, it's hard to submit Point number five, passing on to other people that they also should submit to you as a discipler and then send them out to find other, other disciples to be training them to follow after the Lord also. Those are the difficult parts, personally. All right, so, Roman number one was my walk. Number two was with others. And number three is to the nations. Discipleship doesn't stop right here in our, in our group. It doesn't stop in Fallon, right? It doesn't stop just with our own kind, but it goes actually to the nations. Jesus' command, if we uh, flip back to Matthew 28, flip back to Matthew 28, his command was go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations, Right? He says right there in verse verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's inherent in the command there. Go and take it to all nations. Jesus wants this gospel of salvation in Christ alone to go through all people groups, to call out for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. This is what he's doing. It's not just about me as an individual or you as an individual. He's doing something worldwide, history-wide. He's doing something enormous. And our discipleship of others is a part of that. We get to be a part of that. That is his mission. He's passionate about it. Two more, two more passages to look at. I know I'm having you flip around a lot. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 This is a view at the end. This is this is what we'll see in heaven. This is what it's going to look like, okay? Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the end. That's the direction. That's His goal. That's what we're working towards. That's the climax of the whole thing. That's His plan. And He uses... Little old me in that process. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. I get to be a part of that. That's what he's after. Jesus has always wanted heaven to be that kind of diversity. And it gets that way because his people go out and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're about. And that's how he accomplishes it. Now, state the obvious here, right? Most of us will probably not go and do cross-cultural ministry, at least not for our our lifetimes, right? We're probably not going to go around the world to be ministers of the gospel somewhere else. We're not going to be cross-cultural missionaries probably. Though, I do pray that God would, would grab the hearts of some people in here to nudge them that direction, to pull them that direction, that they would see this vision from Revelation chapter 7 and how glorious it is and that they would want to play a strategic part in that, that God would use them to take the gospel to the nations, to other people and tribes and tongues. I pray that God would raise up from our midst. Maybe, maybe it's uh, someone who's a student now. Or maybe not. Maybe he's calling some, some adults for a second career or something, to make life changes and pursue him in this and go and make disciples among the nations. I pray that he does that. So, but many of you, many of us will not be cross-cultural missionaries, but you might very well disciple someone and pass on to them your heart for the lost, your heart for the nations, and that person may go and be a cross-cultural missionary somewhere. Discipling among the nations. You know, Bob Burroughs and John Duncan were never missionaries overseas. But they passed on to me what God had put in their heart, and it lit a fire in me that made me want to go among the nations to make disciples there. And so they have their part in that by discipling me. The investment that they've made in me has gone that way. And so maybe that's the case with you. Maybe you'll disciple someone who will catch that vision. And go on and maybe, maybe they will go cross-culturally. Or maybe they'll disciple a bunch of people who will go, go cross-culturally. But I, I pray that God would do that from our midst. I would love to see that. I would love to see Parkside here in Fallon, America, our little corner of the world, send out people for the gospel around the world. I would love to see that. We, we have that. We see that happening. Right? The Beheimers are not the only ones that have done that. I think of the is too, and I think of others who are in ministry in different capacities all over the place. People who are missionaries here in the States or, or pastors here in the States. But I pray that God would move in our midst, that we would want to be a part of that global work that he's doing to reach the nations for the gospel. So under point number three there, I don't know if you caught it. A is great commission. The great commission Results in Revelation chapter 7 and it's glorious and it's beautiful. And he uses people like you and me to accomplish that. Letter B is arrows to be launched. Arrows to be launched. This is the last passage we'll turn to. Psalm 127. Psalm 127, right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 127, I'll just read verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. An arrow has to be straight, sharp, and shot at the right direction to be effective. Straight and sharp and shot in the right direction to be effective against the enemy. And dads, we have such a great opportunity to influence our children in these areas. We get to work in their lives to form them to be straight, to fly true. We're responsible for much of the work of sharpening them so that when they hit, they penetrate. And by our own example and our own leadership and our own passions, we get to shift the point of aim either closer to the heart of the enemy or away. We get to have that kind of influence as dads. That's what the Bible calls us to. That's what God calls us to. Now, The comparison breaks down a little bit because, as it turns out, arrows don't have a will of their own. (laughs) My children do. I don't know about yours. They have a will of their own. So, it is not a one-to-one correspondence. But we still have major influence in these areas of seeing that our children are straight and sharp and that they're aimed in the right direction, shot in the right direction. We do damage to the enemy and his kingdom. And we advance the cause of Christ on the earth when we raise our children in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 6. We get to do that, dads. We get to do that. I I went and saw Man of Steel this weekend on Friday. And uh, one of the things I loved about, one of the things I love about those kind of movies is that you see a heroic character who has a cause that is significant. And it makes you emotionally rally behind this guy. And you want to join in. You want to be with him, right? And so that was the deal with Man of Steel. Well, not a lot of other people can fly like him and things like that. But bringing it out of the movie theater and God has wired us, he has wired us to love a great and powerful leader Who is on a mission that we can support. Who is going to accomplish things that we love. We love that. And we can get behind that, right? Jesus is the greatest, the ultimate leader. And his cause is not just really good, nor is it just worldwide, but temporal. It's worldwide. It's eternal. It's spiritual. It's amazing. It's the biggest cause ever. And Jesus is the leader going that direction. Can I get behind that? If I get jazzed about, you know, some, some fake man of steel on a, on a movie theater, and we all do, can I get jazzed about following Jesus, who's the greatest leader ever, on the greatest mission ever? And he, in, he includes me? I get to be involved. I get to disciple other people right here in Fallon, America, who, who will affect eternity, maybe maybe throughout the nations. And I get to be plugged into that. I just love that. And that's the encouragement that I that I want dads to take away today. This is what God has called us to. We get to do this. We get to be involved in that. Our role may be relatively minor, but it's in the biggest, most significant movement, most most significant cause ever. That goes beyond time. And he decides he will include you. Amazing. That's just amazing. We, we should be jazzed about that. And that's what I want dads to take away from this message. It's a combination of talking about fatherhood. And talking about discipleship. That I have little ones in my house. I get to invest in. And I'm making an investment for eternity. I get to, I get to straighten them. And sharpen them. And make sure they're aimed the right direction. I get to do that. That's what God calls me to do as a dad. That's what he calls all of us to do as a dad. I'm excited about that. That's, we love to follow a great leader like that. And Jesus is the ultimate. This summer we're going to be talking more about discipleship. And we're going to be learning more about our own walk. My own walk with Christ. We're going to be learning more about what it means to disciple others. So my walk with others, and then what that means about taking the gospel to the nations and discipling the nations, that's what we've been called to do. And so I, I hope you feel a little bit of a, a flame, a, a, a fire kindled there, that this is what he's called us to. Our life is bigger than just the things that we see around us. We're making investments when we, when we disciple other people, investments for eternity. The kingdom of God growing and expanding Because of what God uses us to do, and so that is my happy Father's Day, Father Time's Day. Wish for you, message for you, prayer for you, and hope for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, I think about uh, Joshua and I think about him standing up there, not knowing what all the people around him were going to say. Were they going to, were they going to go for the pagan gods they used to worship, or the pagan gods that people around them worshipped, or were they going to serve you? And he said, I don't really care. What they do, it won't influence my decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is what I want to do. Lord, I pray that would be our cry. That we all, especially dads, would want to follow after you. That we would take our stand on the word of God. And that we would say, this is where we stand, no matter what happens around us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.